our church year comes to a close is a season that points us forward to the second coming of our King. It's a season that focuses our minds on what Christ is doing and on what we are doing in the meantime, that passing time between the already and the not yet. One thing we can be certain of as we go through that time and as we wait for Jesus to come back is that the king is ruling on his throne. And our messages these next few weeks will serve to remind us of that and bring us the comfort and assurance that we have as servants of the king. Our lesson today comes from the Tuesday of Holy Week. Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem that Sunday on the back of the donkey to the the cries of the people, long live the king, Hosanna, blessed is the son of David, Hosanna in the highest, and Jesus' disciples had to be charged. On Tuesday, they went and they visited the temple, and as they're leaving the temple, they're looking at, at Jesus, their Lord, their king, they're looking at this glorious temple And they just have to remark on how impressive it is. It's as they're leaving the temple that we have the discourse that takes place in our lesson today. The gospel according to Mark chapter 13. Please stand for the words of our Savior Jesus. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones What magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Later that day, they crossed out of Jerusalem, went up on the Mount of Olives, which had a clear view down to Jerusalem and to the temple, and that's where this conversation takes place. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. 
Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What massive stones, Jesus. What magnificent buildings. And they weren't kidding. Guys, can you throw the picture of the temple up there? I think it's the next slide. The temple in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus Christ is the temple that was built when God's people returned from exile in Babylon. It was built, but now it was being rebuilt. King Herod the Great, the king who tried to kill Jesus when he was born, 20 years before Jesus' birth, undertook a a redevelopment of the temple to try to curry favor with the Jewish people, but also to try to make a name for himself in the Roman Empire. And at the time of Jesus, that construction was still ongoing. It wouldn't actually be completed until 63 AD, about 30 years after Jesus ascended back into heaven. But already you could see the improvements that were coming. What massive stones. The stones in the facade of the temple, that front facing around the door, they've found some of those stones measuring 40 feet by 10 feet by 8 feet. Stones that weighed over 100 tons. These are the stones that Jesus said would be thrown down and not one left standing on another. This building was listed among the great marvels of the ancient Roman world, and one historian who saw it with his own eyes said about it, to approaching strangers, Herod's temple appeared from a distance like a snow-clad mountain, for all that was not overlaid with gold was of the purest white. But in all of its man-made greatness, it paled in comparison to the Lord of the temple, the king of God's people, who had now come down into his creation, who had taken on flesh to give himself as a sacrifice for his people and to rescue them from their enemies of sin, death, and hell. With the coming of King Jesus into his city that past Sunday, and with the sacrifice that he would make for his people that Friday, this building, in all of its glory, would no longer be necessary. Because now when God's people needed redemption from their sins, they could go not to a building, but straight to their king, straight to Jesus. And so Jesus foretold its destruction a mere 40 years in the future, just seven years after it would finally reach completion. Because he had come, the king, 
forever may he reign. But the thought for the disciples, the thought of losing this amazing building, it, it troubled them. It would mean not just the end of the temple, but the end of much of their Jewish way of life, much of what was familiar to them. This meant change was coming, and it, it scared them. So alone with Jesus later that day, four of them asked him, when will this happen, teacher? And what he gave them was not so much an answer to that question. But in a way, Jesus says, if you think that will trouble you, let me tell you about some of the other troubling things that must come to pass. All of them, things that did happen before the destruction of the temple in the year 70 AD, but things that continue to happen as we wait for the return of our king. Jesus pointed them to signs. We'll talk about five of those signs today. Signs that would take place within the church and without it. Signs that would come through the forces of nature or signs that would be brought about by men. Jesus said, when you see those signs, remember that the end is still to come. The first sign within the church, Jesus said, there will be false teachers and false teachings that will be brought up in the church, some even who will claim to be Christ himself. And this certainly happened. The disciples saw it taking place just a short time after Jesus ascended. We certainly still see it happening today. Throughout our nation, there are churches all over the place that call themselves Christian churches, but who bring to their members teachings not of salvation through faith in Christ alone, but who hold out our works as something that we must necessarily do in order to earn our own salvation. And other cults and other religions have arisen in recent years who, who acknowledge Jesus as a servant of God, a prophet of God, maybe even a son of God, but who fail to recognize him as God the Son, an equal member of the Trinity, just as divine as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. False teachings will arise, Jesus says. But when you see that happening, don't be alarmed. These things are going to happen, Jesus says, but he gives us a promise. His imperial will as king the gospel must be preached to all nations. So our first fill-in, we could put false teachings or false teachers and their teachings will come and go, but remember this promise from your king, the word of the Lord will endure forever. When we look at that mandate that Jesus gives, the, the gospel must be preached to all nations. We can put the emphasis, I think, in two different places. First, the gospel must be preached. The gospel, the good news that he had come to reveal to us that there is salvation for sinners through the blood of Jesus. That with our sins cleansed by his blood, we now have access to an everlasting inheritance with our God. Second, we can say the gospel must be preached. 
This gift that our king has given to us is not one that we can hoard to ourselves. Hide it under a bushel, no. We've got to let it shine. But that is not always going to be comfortable or easy to do. Sign number two, Jesus says, when you preach the gospel, you will be persecuted by those within the church, by those within the government. You will stand trial before councils and synagogues, he says, and before governors and kings. And when that happens, remember, the gospel must be preached to them too. If you are persecuted for sharing your faith, your love of Christ, count yourself among the apostles and rejoice like they did that you have been counted worthy of suffering for the sake of your king who gave his life for you. Sign number three. (coughs) Wars are going to continue to rage and rumors of wars will abound. How many times in your lifetime have you heard whispers around the, the water tank or wherever people are whispering about maybe this is going to be the start of World War III? I can think of several times just in the last few years. How many times in your lifetime have you seen the cycle go from peace to war to peace and, and back again? There will be wars and rumors of wars, but do not be alarmed, Jesus says. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. What end? What is he talking about there? He's talking about the end of all wars. He's talking about the day when the king of kings, the Lord over all the nations, will come again and take up his throne. The day when all his enemies will be cast down before him so they can never rise up in war again. The day when he will usher in his new kingdom, a new and glorious creation for his people to come in and to dwell in with him a kingdom that will enjoy everlasting peace. So friends, when you see or hear of war, remember, the end is still to come. And that end is a glorious new beginning. So there's strife and persecution in the church. There's conflict and war amongst nations. And then sign number four, we have these fatal disasters that are brought about by nature itself as our planet groans under the curse of sin that's been placed upon it. Earthquakes and famines. And Luke, in his parallel text, he adds another word, pestilence. We maybe know it better as pandemic. What else could we add to the list? Floods, wildfires, hurricanes, and tornadoes. Our planet at times, it seems, is trying to tear itself to pieces. 
tens of thousands, some years hundreds of thousands of lives are lost through these disasters in nature. And what's our reaction supposed to be when we see that happening? Innocent lives just suddenly cut off because our world itself is imploding. Jesus says, don't be alarmed. These are the beginning of birth pains. What does that mean? Disasters are just the beginning of birth pains. I've heard it said that there is nothing a human male will ever experience in his life that can come anywhere close to what a human female experiences when she brings a child into this world. I have also heard that that is not true. I have heard a man say that passing a kidney stone is comparable, if not worse, than the pain endured during pregnancy. And to prove his point, he said this, no male or female who has ever had to pass a stone will at any point in their life ever say, I think I'm ready to do that again. (laughs) Now, whether you agree with that logic or not, the point is that labor pains and kidney stone pains are very different because the labor pains, the birth pains, are leading up to something incredible. These pains that we're going to experience with division in the church and with nations warring against each other, with the world itself crumbling to pieces and people dying left and right, these pains, Jesus says, are like birth pains. They're leading up to something incredible and beautiful. And that's meant to help you endure them, to look forward to the new life that's coming at the end. So when you hear of disasters or wars or divisions, remember that these are just the beginning of birth pains. What else? What else do we have to deal with Jesus as we wait for your triumphant and royal return? Would you believe me if I say he saved the worst one for last? Sign number five. Everyone is going to hate you. Within the church, people who stand on the opposite side of those divisions that arise, they will hate you. Outside of the church, people in the society around you, people in your government, they will hate you if you follow Jesus. And that shouldn't be surprising because look at what happened to Jesus. It was his religious leaders who hated him so much that they arrested and beat him. They spit in his face and handed him over to the Romans for execution. And that Roman government, that secular Roman government, even though they knew that he had done nothing wrong, ordered him to be beaten again and taken out to be crucified. If they hated him, they will hate you if you follow him. That's what Jesus tells us. And not just them, not just people, in the church, people in society. 
people in your family. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I've known the pain of that kind of division in a family. And I know many of you here have as well. In my family's case, no one was handed over to be killed. But there are now relationships that once existed that are dead. So I get it if you have ever or are currently experiencing that kind of division. But not only do I get it, your king gets it too. During his ministry, Jesus' brothers hated him for what he was doing. They thought he was insane. They wanted nothing to do with him. On Friday, in our school chapel service, we had the parallel text to our text today from the Gospel of Matthew. And before Pastor Borman gave us his message on that text, one of our eighth grade students, seventh grade students, a young man named Aiden, read the lesson for us. On Thursday, when I was practicing with Aiden and helping him get ready, I asked him, Aiden, do you understand what Jesus is saying in this lesson? He said, I think so, Pastor. He said, Jesus is saying that it's not going to be easy if we follow him because a lot of people won't like us and a lot of bad things are going to happen. So it won't be easy but it's still worth it. I think that was a pretty good summary of what Jesus is telling us here. It won't be easy, but it'll still be worth it. Dealing with family strain and broken relationships that come about as a result of your holding fast to Jesus above all else is not easy. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. It will not always be easy, brothers and sisters. But then the end will come. Your king will come. And he will establish his kingdom, his new creation, and the birth pains will finally be over then he will be our God and we will be his people and we will dwell together with him forever. Long live the king. Amen.